but you're filling the bucket up faster than it can drain, it's never going to drain. And so we need to stop filling the bucket, meaning stop adding these chemicals into our body, and our body will know how to drain them out. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Real Health Real Talk podcast. This is an interview with Lara Adler, who is an environmental toxin educator for health professionals. Lara has so much knowledge, and it was so interesting. A, recording this episode, B, listening back to it. Hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Just a quick FYI, we did this early February, so there is no mention of coronavirus, and I feel like that might be a positive thing in this current climate. Hope everyone is staying safe and well, but in the meantime, enjoy this interview with Lara Adler. Hey, Lara, welcome to the Real Health, Real Talk podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So the first thing I like to do in my episodes is do this segment called the Real Recap. So essentially what we talk about is the week that we've just had. And since you're the guest, you can go first. How has your week been? My week has been pretty good, actually. Um, had a visitor from out of town come and staying with me. So I got to take some fun time off and, and hang out with her. So it's been a good week. Nice. I have had some training for work and had my first week at my new job. So it's been it's been an interesting week. It's gone really, really fast. On Monday, I was actually in Sydney because I started my first job, like the first day of my job on Tuesday, and my flight got cancelled. So <laughs> it was a bit of a stressful start to my week, but it's nice to be sitting with you today. I'd like to ask, what does real health mean to you? Uh, really good question. Um You know, I think it certainly means different things to different people. For me, I think real health means having the energy and the resilience to do the things that you love, to do the things that you enjoy and not be saddled with um, challenges or symptoms or health concerns. And whatever that means for different people, I think that's going to be different for everyone. But that certainly is um, uh, what it means to me. And I think it's also a pretty all-encompassing phrase because I would absolutely have to factor into that, you know, real health means being able to get outside and do stuff in nature and be with animals and be with your friends and, you know, have downtime. And I think all of those things are important and certainly sometimes overlooked. Yeah, beautiful. It is, it is so all-encompassing and I think it's just my favorite thing to ask. I ask every single guest that and I just love how it, depending on their personality and their interests, it's different to everyone. So I really, really love that. So I want to dive straight in and ask you some particular questions. But first, I haven't even introduced what you do. So I'd love for you to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what you do and how you came to be in the in the work that you're doing now. Yeah, so I'm an environmental toxins expert and educator, and I work uh, with health professionals like health coaches, nutritionists, nurses, um, medical doctors, naturopathic doctors, osteopaths, etc., to understand, better understand the link between these everyday chronic level, uh, chronic exposures to low levels of environmental chemicals and how those exposures are related to the chronic health issues that those health professionals are seeing in their clients and patients so that they can have a new powerful tool to be able to help support uh, those people on their healing journey. So that's the that's the work that I be, that I do. I have been um, teaching health professionals since 2012. So at this point, we are rolling into eight years of doing this, which has been really, really mm-hmm. exciting. Uh, it's definitely a 
topic that I kind of stumbled into um, quite on accident. You know, I was always had a personal interest in health and nutrition just because of the way that I ate and what my lifestyle was. Um, but you know, chemicals, environmental t- chemicals and toxins wasn't really part of that, um, you know, what I was was doing in my personal life for most of that time. Um, but at a certain point after, you know, eight, almost eight years in a totally unrelated industry, working in a totally unrelated industry, um, I kind of felt this draw to move into the health and nutrition space because it was what my personal life was. I was the farmer's market girl who, you know, took classes, cooking classes at the Natural Gourmet Cooking School in New York. Like I was learning all about food and how to, you know, be healthier and live healthier and more sort of in alignment um, with the things that were meaningful for me. And, uh, you know, kind of decided that this career that I'd had working in a corporate office in a cubicle that doing sales, um, wasn't really in alignment with that at all. And so I left the industry that I was in and went back to school to learn about nutrition and health coaching and began seeing clients as a health coach and, and kind of stumbled, like I said, accidentally into this whole field of environmental health, environmental medicine. Um, at the time, this was not really discussed in the nutrition program I was attending at all. There was no discussion of toxic chemicals and health effects. And when I started work, I started working with clients who were trying to lose weight and it was pretty standard that's what people wanted. And some of the people that I worked with had great results. They lost the weight, they kept it off, their energy was good, they did all the things. And I had a couple of clients who also did all the things. And for them, the weight didn't change at all. And they were frustrated because they were putting in all this effort. I was frustrated because I felt very, you know, committed to helping them reach this goal. And it was really through that experience that I started to dig into what are the underlying, you know, what are the things I'm missing in this conversation around weight? And that was where I stumbled into this field of environmental chemicals and how they can, um, among other things, disrupt our metabolism in ways that make it harder for people to lose weight or that actually cause them to gain weight. And, you know, my mind was really blown because at that point I'd spent, you know, in my personal life, I'd spent a decade reading all the nutrition books, reading all the health books and toxic chemicals wasn't really part of the dialogue at all. I'd just gone to school. I'd spent a year in a nutrition program and it wasn't discussed there. And so that really struck me as being like a pretty big oversight. Uh, So I spent a couple of years, you know, really trying to understand what was this field and what do we know? And and can we translate what we know into meaningful action steps on the individual level? And do those changes actually result in, you know, a reduction of symptoms or a, um, you know, reduction of likelihood of, um, you know, developing X or Y uh, health issue? And it just, I found it to be so fascinating. So I spent a couple years you know, learning everything that I could and, and then, you know, started to turn around and teach were, what were at the time, all of the colleagues that I had in the health coaching and nutritionist space. Uh, because like I said, this wasn't part of the curriculum at all. And I would add that 10, 12 years on, it's still not a significant part of the curriculum, which is still a gross oversight. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's how I ended up in this space. And, 
I'm still fascinated every day by the research that comes out and really inspired by how much this conversation has changed over the last decade. Beautiful. I love that. I love how passionate you are about that. And just to touch on what you said about the still the current education, I just last December graduated from my bachelor degree in nutrition. And it was it really I don't I don't even remember if it really was covered. And it's something that I'm really passionate about. And I've always I grew up in a household where my mum was very um, conscious not only about healthy food, but making sure that the, you know, the dishwashing soap and and the cleaning products and everything were things that weren't harmful um and you know she was a little bit before her time a bit of a not probably seen as a bit of a hippie in that way um but I'm so glad that I already had that background because a lot of my friends just don't understand why you know some things they might clean better and they've got bleach in them and all that sort of stuff and they don't think what the consequences of that are right yeah Yeah, I mean, the consequences, I mean, here's the thing that's kind of challenging about the conversation with environmental health and environmental medicine um, and these sort of everyday exposures that we all get. Like, you know, I still get exposures to toxic chemicals. We all do. It's not something that we are ever going to eliminate entirely, but we can certainly make a lot of progress in terms of reducing exposures um, in, in our homes and in our daily lives. But, you know, what most people don't realize is that we're not typically talking about acute reactions. Um, You know, if somebody gets bleach in their eye, yes, that's an acute reaction. If somebody has a respiratory problem and they have asthma and they're around certain chemicals or substances that can cause inflammation in the airways and trigger asthma attacks, then yes, there, there certainly are acute symptoms or acute reactions that are immediate. But most of the time in this space, what we're looking at are not acute reactions but instead this sort of chronic exposure and this chronic influence in our hormones or our neurodevelopment or neurological health um, that can sort of subtly over time lead to these symptoms. And because so many people these days are dealing with some kind of chronic illness, I think that's part of why this conversation has sort of gained a little bit more traction in the sort of general awareness of, of, you know, consumers is because more and more people are chronically sick and they're starting to go, well, wait a second. I, I don't understand. I've been doing everything quote unquote, right. And I'm still dealing with autoimmune disease. I'm still dealing with fertility issues. I'm still dealing with, you know, skin issues and gut issues and brain fog and fatigue. And they're starting to look around at their environment. So I think some of some of the awareness around this toxicity is coming from that, but we don't often see acute reactions. What we're seeing is, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of exposures, and then people are dealing with those same chronic health issues that I mentioned and kind of having to work backwards Mm -hmm. to figure out, huh, why did this happen? Why did I get lupus or rheumatoid arthritis? Or why do I have eczema? And in asking those questions or kind of peeling the onion back and learning about nutrition and healthy food and stress and the importance of sleep and in that conversation are also starting to learn about things like environmental toxins. So it's pretty interesting to see how this awareness has kind of unfolded over the last decade. Yeah, 100%. Um, 
Just to lie a little bit of a foundation for those who are listening, what is a toxin and what what do you think is the main damage um, that they can do to our bodies or what are you seeing? Great. So, you know, toxin is kind of a broad term. Um, Technically, a toxin is something that is uh, uh, used to define a a substance produced by a plant or an animal like poison ivy or, um, you know, a toxin coming from like a snake bite or something like that. So in a very technical term standpoint, the word toxin applies to those naturally produced um, substances. Um, When we're talking about synthetic man-made chemicals, uh, the term that technically is used is the term toxicant, which is a little bit different. Now, in conversation, in the research literature, these terms are often used interchangeably. So when I'm talking about a toxin within the context of this conversation and the work that I do in the field of environmental medicine, we're not really talking about things like snake bites or poison ivy or those types of toxins. We're talking about um, chemicals, uh, substances uh, that are either synthetic or that they're natural because, you know, chemicals like or substances like lead, uh, arsenic, mercury, These are all natural substances that are toxic, uh, and we also have a lot of synthetic chemicals that are toxic. And so broadly speaking, a toxin is something that has an adverse effect on some part of the function, cellular uh, function of our bodies, some mechanism. um, And, you know, like I was saying earlier, oftentimes people are thinking of the term toxin or toxic in terms of being acutely toxic, like, oh, if this stuff in my shampoo was, quote, toxic, wouldn't I need to call poison control center or run to the nearest emergency room because I've been exposed to a toxic chemical? And so that's not really what we're talking about here. Those types of exposures do happen where people have extraordinarily high levels of exposure, maybe through their job if they work in a factory or you know, a pesticide plant, for example, Um, those people might have those very serious acute exposures. But what we're talking about mostly in terms of environmental health, environmental medicine, and this sort of overlap of lifestyle medicine is what are the low levels of toxic exposures of chemicals that can have a negative effect on our body in our everyday lives, just through normal living? Like, what are we being exposed to? Um, And so that's really the sort of corner of this world that I like to occupy, is what are we being exposed to knowingly or unknowingly, just through living our normal everyday lives? And what can we do to start to address those exposures without dramatically altering the way that we live? Um, so to the other part of your question, it's just like, how are these, like, what are the effects of these exposures? Um, unfortunately they can be pretty much anything and there's not really a single, I don't think that there's a, you know, the, the, what's the, you know, number one way that they're affecting us. I think that the same chemicals can affect different people in different ways based on their genetics or the, you know, their unique biochemistry and and physiology. So everybody's going to respond differently. Certainly a lot of the chemicals that we're exposed to can directly um, uh, alter, interfere with our mitochondria. So that's sort of like as basic as you can get because our mitochondria are the, you know, little energy producing uh, power plants in our cells that actually fuel the 
process of being alive. And so if we have uh, substances or, or anything that interferes with the production of mitochondria, then we can kind of conclude very clearly that that's going to interfere with energy production and our body's capacity to do the things that it's supposed to do. So on a very basic level, I'd say mitochondrial damage is certainly a big significant way that chemicals can affect us. But we also have different classes of chemicals like carcinogens. These are chemicals that are linked to the cause or contribution or, or contribute to the development of cancers, various types of cancers. We can look at um, chemicals that are classified as neurotoxins. Um, these can be developmental neurotoxins, so chemicals that you know a, a person might be exposed to while they are in utero, while they are developing, and those neurotoxins can have a negative impact on their outcome as, as they enter the world, um, either in the form of uh, developmental issues, behavioral issues, loss of IQ, um, alterations in um, even our um, you know, sexual identity, because that is all chemicals in the brain that are helping to create us as human beings. And so if we have neurotoxic chemicals, um, you know, those are um, some of the ways that they can affect us. There's also reproductive toxins that obviously sort of self-explanatory, they can interfere with reproduction or even fertility. We see a lot of infertility around the globe uh, right now, which is pretty concerning. Um, and then we also have classes of chemicals like endocrine disruptors or hormone disrupting chemicals that mess with our hormones and our hormones regulate like everything. So having chemicals that interfere with the production of thyroid hormone or the excretion of estrogen or um, estrogen production or signaling, any of that um, can really have long-term effects on our health. And then there's all these subcategories. So you can have an obesogenic chemical, which, you know, those were sort of the first ones that I learned about in, in stepping into this space are like, these are chemicals that can alter metabolism in ways that lead to weight gain, obesity, and diabetes. And then there's even a subcategory under that of diabetogens, chemicals that specifically seem to have a effect on um, diabetes uh, development. So there's so many different ways that these chemicals can affect us. And what's, you know, concerning and troubling is that sometimes a single chemical might be multiples of those. It might be an endocrine disrupting chemical and a carcinogen and neurotoxic, depending on when somebody's exposed and, you know, what their genetic weak links are or what's happening in their lives. So lots of variability. And unfortunately, you know, pretty much every health issue has some tie back to environmental exposures. There's certainly not the causal factor for most chronic disease, but they are uh, this you know concept of, of chemicals um, are you know classified as emerging contaminants or emerging risk factors in most of the chronic health issues from allergies to autism to Alzheimer's um, all the way down to you know skin issues, gut issues, brain issues, IQ loss, um, there's always an association with environmental exposures, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I'd imagine that for people who haven't really thought about this before, it could be quite scary and a little bit intense. So if we could just break it down a little bit further, are there, yeah. are there a few 
chemicals, toxins or toxicants, sorry, um, ingredients that we should be looking out for that are very, very common in just household items? Yeah, absolutely. And that's really where the bulk of my work is focused is on those household items because, you know, yes, it can be overwhelming. Um, yes, it's like, oh my God, we're being exposed to chemicals all day, every day. What do I do? Where do I start? Um, I always encourage people to start with like what's free and what's easy because I think an obstacle certainly for a lot of people in starting to make changes is they think it's going to be really expensive. And, oh, I got to, you know, I got to throw everything out. I got to buy everything new. And I want to like let people know that that's not always the case. So for example, you know, some of the most ubiquitous chemicals, meaning they show up, at least here in the United States, they show up in, you know, 98, 99% of people tested by the federal government in their body burden tests are chemicals like phthalates um, or bisphenol A or some of the other bisphenols. So those are both endocrine disrupting chemicals that can interfere with various aspects of our hormones and are linked to a long list of health issues um, that unfortunately are becoming more prevalent. And so where do we find these types of chemicals in our home environment? We find phthalates in all of our fragranced items in our homes, everything from the scented candles to the, you know, air freshener sprays, our perfume, our makeup, our household cleaners. And so like that list right there is enough to occupy like four months of someone's time cleaning up their home. So in terms of, you know, going back to that free and easy is, you know, phthalates are, like I said, they're endocrine disrupting chemicals. They're found in these scented products. The first thing that I always tell people to do is just stop buying scented candles, air fresheners, plug-ins, any kind of home fragrance spray. You are polluting the indoor air inside your home. If you can smell a product, um, you are breathing in molecules of those chemicals, um, you know, and, and that's what we're trying to reduce. So we're looking at, you know, just stop buying these scented candles. And even if you stop buying them, get rid of the ones that you have. Don't burn them. Um, it's a really simple and, in fact, money-saving way to start addressing exposure to specifically phthalates, as well as other um, VOCs. These are re uh, referred to as volatile organic compounds, which can include carcinogenic chemicals like benzene and toluene that are often found in um, scented products and air fresheners and, and those types of things. So that's like a really easy intervention that can actually have a really dramatic effect on what we're being exposed to. Um, you know, and what's really cool about the body is certainly not for all chemicals, but for many chemicals, our body's actually able to detoxify, to excrete and eliminate these chemicals as they enter our body, as, as they enter the bloodstream. And so many of these chemicals are what are called non-persistent. Like they don't stick around. They are, you know, they have a short transit time through the body, um, sometimes as short as a few hours or maybe a few days, but you know, all things equal, we'll pee them out in a couple days. Now that's great. That's what we want. That's why reducing exposures is really important. But the reason why these 
body burden tests are finding 98, 99% of people have these chemicals is because they never practice avoidance behaviors and they're constantly being exposed. So, you know, the analogy that's often used is like the bucket, right? Like, oh, if you have a bucket and it's trying to drain water, but you're filling the bucket up faster than it can drain, it's never going to drain. And so we need to stop filling the bucket, meaning stop adding these chemicals into our body and our body will know how to drain them out because that's what it's designed to do. And there's actually been studies that back this up that show, you know, what happens when people um, switch their personal care products, for example, to ones that are not made with phthalates and parabens, which is another endocrine disrupting um, class of chemicals and, you know, a couple of other ingredients. And you can see a dramatic drop in these chemicals in the bodies uh, in the urine excretion like within a couple days. Mm-hmm. So it's just telling us that like we, we actually can, our body can handle many of these chemicals um, uh, and get rid of them safely, provided that we give it a chance. But unfortunately, the way most of us live, we don't actually give it a chance. That's so interesting. I'm glad that you mentioned detoxification because my next question, I was looking at your Instagram, which I love your handle, by the way, Environmental Toxins. Thank you. <laughs> Um, and you said that many de- diet and detox programs fail to address the chronic exposure to chemicals, which are the underlying reason we need to detox in the first place. Why do you think this area is so often neglected? And for I'm sure there might be health coaches or people in the health industry listening. Why is it something that they need to be talking to their clients about? Right. So there's two questions there and I'll answer them one at a time. So the first one is like, you know, why is this being neglected? I think, first of all, this goes back to what I said earlier about this big education gap around toxic chemicals. People don't have education. So, you know, even in, you know, in the nutrition space, we rec- we get our feathers ruffled when we learn that, you know, the average medical doctor gets between 19 and 21 hours of nutrition training. And we're like, that's insane. How, how is that allowed? Um, in the environmental health space, the average medical school curriculum that offers education in environmental medicine offers only seven hours. Most programs actually don't offer any. So, you know, and that's in medical trainings. And when we get down into like the allied practitioners the nurses and nutritionists and health coaches, it's just not in the curriculum Mm -hmm. or there's cursory mentions of, you know, toxins and heavy metals, but there's not anything significant. And so I think the reason why most of these diet-based detox and cleanse programs don't address toxins is because the providers or practitioners that are offering them just don't have enough education to feel confident even introducing the topic. So what they do instead, which is okay, I don't want to criticize these programs because these programs can actually be amazing for people. Um, So what they do instead is they kind of lean on the more um, colloquial use of the word detox. And, you know, you stop a person on the street and you ask them what the word detox means. And it means different things to different people, right? It might mean a drug and alcohol detox program, which is very different than what we're talking about here. It's a totally different type of toxin, right? Um, some people might say, oh yeah, like it's a, it's a diet reset. Well, that's not actually a detoxification program. So we're using the term very loosely. You know, you go into a health food store and you see all of these like detox teas, detox supplements, detox lemonade, because it's got activated charcoal in it. And then you can charge an extra $4 because it's black. Um, you know, you see these 
face masks that are like, this is a detox face mask. And so I see this term kind of bandied about in, you know, commerce. And I actually get a little bit frustrated because it's really diluting what the true meaning of the word is, which is our detoxification capacity and pathways and supporting that. And so beyond, um, you know, addressing uh, the consumption of fruits and vegetables in a diet-based program, which is, of course, helpful in the detox process, I think there's just this, this missed opportunity to talk about why we want to support the liver in the first place, why we want to help increase or open up those detoxification pathways that are inherently built into our bodies, like pooping, like peeing, like sweating, like our liver function and our uh, kidneys, like these are the organs that actually do the detoxification. So like drinking, you know, lemonade with activated charcoal is not doing anything. Um, it's not real detox. So I do get a little bit frustrated with that terminology, but for a health professional, health coach, nutritionist, or whatever, who is offering these types of short um, diet reset, cleanse programs, etc. You know, I think with a few modifications, they can actually take their program from being like pretty good to actually being really great because they're talking about a topic that directly relates to the main reason why we would want to push the idea of opening detox pathways in the first place, and that's toxicity. So it's just, I, it's just something that I've observed is, you know, after being in this space for a decade and seeing, you know, thousands and thousands of detox and cleanse programs and almost none of them actually address toxins. And I'm like, guys, hello, missed opportunity here. <laughs> so you mentioned that what we really need to be doing is supporting the pathways in our body that are made to detox. Like we don't have to go out yeah. and buy, like you said, a charcoal lemonade to detox. But what are some of those things? Because this is what I always like to say, like we've already got the equipment. So if we do want to be detoxing in quotation, air quotations there, um, what are some things that we can be doing to help the, um, the pathways that we do have? Right. So I think the first and number one thing is like we need to make sure that we're pooping at least once a day, like that's fundamental. And I think for us in the health space, like we take that for granted because we're all like eating our six to nine cups of vegetables. So of course we're going to be pooping. But I think if you ask the average person about their poop, which only us people in the health space would do that mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because these are conversations that we have with people <laughs> is talk about poop all the time, but I don't recommend health practitioners to stop random people on the street and ask them about their poop. However, if you did, I think that they would be shocked to find that like so many people are like, I go to the bathroom once every two or three days. Mm -hmm. And like, that's normal for them, right? It's not actually normal. It's common, but it's not normal. And so our, you know, Pooping is the primary way that we are getting waste matter out of the body. And if we're not pooping, 
then we are actually reabsorbing a lot of the toxins in that waste product back into our bodies and it can be really dangerous. Um, and so constipation is not ideal. We want to make sure that we are pooping first and foremost. And what's interesting in the health space is that, you know, the liver is like the big sexy detox organ because it's the one that's like turning the crank and doing the most of the work. But since, and because of that, a lot of health professionals love to jump to doing, you know, heavy liver detox and heavy liver support and make sure you're doing all the stuff to support the liver. But if people are doing that first and not making sure that we actually have a way to get this stuff that the liver is processing out of the body, then you may be doing more harm than good mm -hmm. because you're creating this blockage. So like, let's make sure that the doorways are open before we like open the floodgates basically. So pooping is like the legit number one way to detox. So everybody just needs to make sure that they're pooping at least once a day. If you can poop two to three times a day that are normal, healthy poops, that's amazing. Aim for that. And we do that through eating our vegetables or fruits and vegetables or six to nine cups of fruits and vegetables every day, which sounds like a lot, but you know, maybe, I don't know, to me, it's not that much. I'm like, I could easily do that. Mm -hmm. um, but that fiber, that roughage will certainly help to move things along. Now, certainly there are going to be people that have, you know, whether it's an irritable bowel disease or inflammatory bowel disease or something like that, or maybe they can't handle that much roughage. Obviously there's going to be exceptions to that, but the bottom line is we want to poop every day. So that is number one. And then I think beyond that, once we have that kind of checked off on the list, I think anything that we can do to support the liver in its giant, ginormous task of processing and breaking down um, uh, these substances, uh, you know, toxic chemicals, exogenous toxins, toxins come from the outside, endogenous toxins, that's, you know, the, the waste product from our, our cells, cellular waste, that's endogenous toxins. Um, we want the liver to be able to break that down. And the liver's fuel comes in the form of nutrition, we need these nutrients. We need to be eating cruciferous vegetables. So the broccoli, the cauliflower, um, the kales and cabbages, like those are so important for us to eat because they contain the, the fuel, the nutrients that our body's liver, that our livers need to actually know how to get rid of these toxic chemicals. So we need to make sure that we're eating those foods, um, these alliums, so our garlic, our scallions, um, our onions, our, our chives, our leeks, like these foods are also great nutrient dense sources of um, things that our, our bodies need. All of those, you know, dark colored berries, the blackberries and the blueberries and the raspberries, they again provide our body with these antioxidants and these nutrients that it needs to help support the body. So we definitely need that sort of eat the rainbow, eat all the different, eat diverse um, fruits and vegetables on a regular basis. And that's, you know, I say that that's easy because that's just the way that I've been eating for the last 20 years, but you know, I, I recognize for some people making that transition into that way of eating might be hard, but um, hopefully with the support of a nutritionist or health coach, um, they can, they can get that support to do that. Mm -hmm. um, certainly making sure that we're hydrated and that we're drinking clean, 
appropriately filtered water, right? Because um, we need that uh, water to help flush our kidneys. Our kidneys are one of the ways that we um, excrete water-soluble chemicals. So we need to make sure that we're properly hydrated and that our kidney function is good. Um, And you know, unfortunately, around the world, water, drinking water, is contaminated with hundreds of chemicals, most of which are not regulated. And so we need to filter that water, ideally, um, to remove those contaminants so that we're not kind of muddying the waters while we're trying to clean it up at the same time. That's certainly a big one. Um, And then, you know, some of the other ways that we can help support the detox process um, that I personally am a really, really big fan of is sauna use. So sweating, Um, you know, a lot of people still erroneously think that sweating only releases, you know, things like potassium and other minerals in the body. But there is a large body of research showing that many chemicals are excreted through sweat. And in fact, some chemicals will preferentially excrete through sweat rather than through urine, which is typically what, you know, for example, if somebody's doing some lab tests to see what toxic chemicals they have in them, they're almost always urine tests. But those urine tests will sometimes miss chemicals that only really seem to excrete via sweat. So, you know, some pretty interesting research in that realm. So I really encourage people to be sweating Um, getting in a sauna, any kind of sauna, um, and sweating, you know, at least, you know, two to three times a week, if they can, um, some really incredible health benefits for sweating. And that that is one of our um, detox pathways. Um, And then lastly, is, you know, getting your lymph flowing. Your lymph is this, you know, we have all that we know our lymph nodes, right? And we have all of these um, uh, lymph nodes throughout our body and they pass lymph uh, fluid through them. Lymph is sort of like the garbage disposal company of our bodies. It gets rid of all the cellular waste. So we want to make sure that that's flowing. Our heart has a pump. So our blood gets pumped through our body. The lymphatic system doesn't have a pump it gets moved when we move our bodies. So exercise, jumping on a trampoline, um, even things like dry brushing, using a dry brush on your skin really lightly um, can help move, encourage the movement of that lymph um, fluid through the body. So those are all really you know, pretty basic ways that we can support the body in detoxing. But I think the the sort of magic happens or, you know, the, the emphasis is the emphasis is on not just opening up those detox pathways, but also reducing exposure to toxins so that we're not putting this unnecessary burden on our liver and all of our, you know, other systems to even handle these chemicals. Cause just cause we can get rid of them quickly doesn't necessarily mean that they're not doing harm for the short time that they're in us. And sometimes that short time is actually not short because it's like a, you know, let's say a burglar running through your house really, really quickly. But when they run through the house, they turn on all the lights. And so long after they're gone, the lights are still on. Mm-hmm. And that's actually what we see with some of these chemicals that excrete really quickly through the body is they're still, they left some damage behind. They left some lights on, they flipped some hormonal switches or they flipped some, um, you know, epigenetic switches that we may spend a number of years kind of figuring out how to shut those lights off. It seems like the perfect 
the perfect combination is how you are working with health coaches and those health professionals because it, your area would be reduction in the in the toxins and then they can help with you know that other detoxifying things and like you just said doing all of those things and making sure you're having your vegetables and you know having frequent bowel movements so is that of that is that your real passion sort of working with those professionals to to broaden your message that way yeah absolutely because you know the reality is that you know I've had students in over 26 countries around the world and that's far more reach than I could have on my own and so you know what I would want is for uh, health professionals really across all modalities to have a fluency in this topic so that they can work with all of the clients and patients they see, all the thousands, tens of thousands, and millions of people that collectively they will reach um, so that they can spread this information, empower people to make better choices that are actually in support of their health as opposed to you know unknowingly undermining their health. Um, for me, it's very much about getting this sort of army of health professionals who know how to have this conversation, who know how to guide people towards solutions, and who know how to support them in just like we, what we talked about is getting those detox pathways open. Um, and, you know, the ultimate goal, so like that's sort of the primary goal, is like, let's get these practitioners fluent in this conversation and let's fill this massive education gap that currently exists by educating them about the issue, about what the research says and what actions we can take. But at the same time, the sort of secondary um, fringe, major fringe benefit goal is that through having this conversation with clients and patients who are proactively working on optimizing their health, which is why they would be working with a health professional in the first place, um, is that those consumers then go out and start making better choices in the marketplace. And when we have that happening, we have the ability to shift the marketplace so that we have less toxic products overall. And I've actually seen that happening over the last 10 years. So when I first started learning about this topic and was like, oh my God, all these chemicals in my personal care products and my deodorant and lotions and like makeup. Oh my God, what do I do? Uh, you know, I found it really, really hard to find safer products that performed well. Like they were, there were some out there that were really expensive and they didn't really work that well. Um, and you know, I couldn't, there was just, I could, it felt, it felt like I could count the number of quote unquote clean beauty brands on like one hand. And I knew them all. I was like, oh yeah, here are your choices. Good luck finding them in the store because stores didn't sell this stuff yet. It was all online. Mm -hmm. And so now there are hundreds and hundreds of companies that are built around this idea of having chemicals that are linked to health effects in products that we use on our skin, not okay, not interested in that. I'm going to use, you know, really clean functional ingredients that are effective, that are powerful, and that don't have any of these, um, these health issues associated with them. And so there are more brands out there now that I personally can keep up with. And I think that's really cool. And that's happened because consumers have demanded it. So, you know, we see this happening in a lot of different areas, not just in around, um, you know, 
consumer products, but we see this with organics in the food sector. Um, here in the United States, the two largest sellers of organic food currently are Costco and Walmart, not two stores that we would typically associate with like healthy living. Mm -hmm. But because so many millions of consumers have voted with their dollars and said organic is important to us, those retailers realized if we don't start selling these foods, we are going to become obsolete or we're not going to be, we want, we want all of our customers' needs to be met in our store so we're not losing out on you know, dollars that they're going to have to go to spend at Whole Foods. And so that happens only because consumers demand it. So it's really, really exciting to see that happening. Um, again, here in the United States, and again, because consumers are demanding it, a lot of these big box stores, the Targets and Walmarts and um, Walgreens and CVS, they're starting to be more aware of and starting to address the toxic chemicals in the products on their own store shelves. And that's because of consumer demand. So definitely my sort of primary objective is to get these health professionals educated and engaged with their own audiences, helping their clients reduce exposures. And then when that happens, we've got this massive wave of consumers who are demanding better products and it changes the whole landscape for everyone. That is so exciting. I love that. Yes, it really, it's really, it's just been really cool to see. And, you know, I, I, I certainly am not going to say it's because of me. I have one tiny sliver of, of, you know, skin in the game in that, in that, um, happening. And I'm really proud of that, but this is a very collective effort. It's, there's so many people that are sort of, sort of pushing the charge on this. Um, and it's really exciting to see. So I'm a huge, um, fan of empowering people to, to leverage the power of their pocketbook of their wallet. Um, I just shared this, um, on an Instagram live Facebook live that I did with a colleague is that, you know, I think this is probably true everywhere um, in developed nations, at least, but that women are the primary drivers of the economy because we're the heads of household and we're the ones that make all the buying decisions for the house or the most of them anyway. And so that means that we have so much control as individuals and as women to shift what we see in, in the marketplace. So that means we no longer support companies that use toxic chemicals and we do support companies that have decided to um, manufacture products that do not contain these questionable chemicals. So, you know, I think that's, that's really important. It's so important. And I just, well done. Like I honestly, it's, and to hear you speaking about it, the way that you speak about it, you're so passionate. And I think that that will just keep transcending onto more and more people. Yes. I mean, I hope so. You know, and I think that like, uh, you know, I just want to add this in thought of it as, as I was just talking is, you know, we want to be, we want to be careful or mindful of, you know, not kind of dump lumping all these things into the same category. So, you know, everything is a chemical, not all chemicals are toxic. And so, I see this in the beauty industry. So, you know, we have this big popular trend where people are like, I'm going to make these cleaner products. And then when that happens, and this is true for any trend or any industry, is that we have people who are jumping on the bandwagon, right? And they're 
um, participating in what's called greenwashing or cleanwashing, which is where they present their product or service or whatever it is, usually a product, to be more, quote, green or more, quote, clean than it actually is. And because of, you know, uh, loopholes in federal policies and, and labeling laws around a lot of consumer products here in the States, there's a lot of companies that are not actually being truthful or disclosing all of their ingredients. They're not being transparent. And so that's a concern. And, you know, I see um, skincare companies doing this by saying, you know, our skincare is chemical free. Well, that's not possible because water is a chemical and air is a chemical and, you know, all of the hormones that course through our bodies are chemicals. So we don't want to just kind of use the term chemical and assume that all chemicals are bad because it's absolutely not true. What we talk about in this entire field of environmental health and environmental medicine are the chemicals that are bad and that are harmful, not all chemicals. So I just kind of want to put that out there. Um, I like to mention that for people that are maybe hearing this conversation for the first time, because sometimes, you know, they're like, oh my God, they see the word chemical and they freak out. And I just want to not encourage the freak out and to kind of check ourselves and recognize that what we're looking at here is the use of chemicals that have harmful effects. Yeah, and I guess it would be just so important to be vigilant when you are looking at those products. Yeah, and it's, you know, unfortunately, we're living in an age where the onus is on the consumer to figure that out, right? Like, we have to be detectives and label readers, which is, like, frankly annoying. I would not wants to have to do that. It would be amazing if we didn't have to do that, but we do. And so, you know, uh, going back to your question from like 15, 20 minutes ago of like, what are we looking for as consumers? You know, one, we're just, like I said, get rid of those scented products. Um, but you know, your scented candle doesn't always have an ingredient label. So what we're looking for is the word fragrance or perfume or parfum and any product that has that word not absolutely, but likely contains phthalates. Phthalates are not actually part of the, the chemical fragrance mixture or formula itself, but it's an additive in the formulation of the fragrance um, that makes sure that the, uh, it's like a stabilizer. So it makes sure that the fragrance stays stable um, and that it sticks to your skin and your clothes and your hair. So when we see, for example, you know, these laundry detergents and dryer sheets that say like, oh, your clothes will sm smell, smell sunshine fresh, you know, weeks after you've washed it. That's because there is literally this phthalate plastic, phthalates are a plasticizer, um, that are coating the fibers in your clothes and, and, and keeping that, those scent molecules attached to your clothing fibers. So like, <laughs> It's a selling point from the company's perspective, but as a consumer, I'm like, that's not a selling point. That's terrible. That's not natural. It's not supposed to be that way. So, you know, we want to look for the word um, fragrance or perfume because that's an indication that phthalates are present. Even if a product says it's phthalate free and it uses the word perfume or fragrance and it doesn't break down exactly what compounds are used in that fragrance, like essential oil of this and essential oil of that then there are other chemicals released by these uh, fragrance compounds. There's over 3,000 chemicals that fragrance chemists can use to create, you know, spring rain or mountain sunrise or all these ridiculous, you know, deodorant 
probably flavors or whatever they're, whatever they're called. Um, and they're proprietary. They don't need to tell anyone. It's just fragrance. And so that word fragrance is like a, ma- a mask for, you know, hundreds of different chemicals that might be combined to create the signature scent. And the chemicals that make up those fragrances also can be allergenic. They can be sensitizers. They also can be endocrine disrupting. So even if it's phthalate-free fragrance, unless it's a, you know, natural plant-based essential oil, um, I'm really, I don't encourage people to use those products. So then that's just one ingredient, right? So then we also have, um, you know, other ingredients to look out for on personal care products are parabens. Parabens are a broad spectrum preservative that are used in, you know, hundreds of thousands of products. Um, There's different types of parabens. Basically, if the word ends in araben, it's a paraben. Um, And these are also endocrine disruptors. So there's like methylparaben, ethylparaben, propylparaben, any paraben. Um, And so we want to avoid those. Uh, We want to look out for any ingredient that um, uh, has ETH, so like sodium lauryl sulfate, satyreth. So anything that ends in ETH um, has the potential to be contaminated with a chemical called 1,4-dioxane, which is a very potent carcinogen. So it's still a small amount and it's just a contaminant, but there's no um, obligation for any companies to list these on the label because it's not actually an ingredient. Mm -hmm. It's a contaminant in the process of producing an ingredient. So those are just like three samples of dozens and dozens of ingredients that people should be on the lookout for. But, you know, then there's also things like our plastics, right? The plastic food storage containers that we put our food in, that we heat in the microwave, that we let our kids eat and drink off of because, you know, we don't want them to drop a plate and then we have to pick up glass or pick up shards of a plate. And, you know, I think that um, those are habits that we want to kind of move away from using plastic because those plastics can leach chemicals uh, that are endocrine disruptors like bisphenols, like the same phthalates that are in your scented candle and air fresheners are also in certain types of plastics. So limiting plastic use is pretty key. Mm-hmm. And you've got, just because I feel like some, for some people, and even for me, that's like a lot of information. Yes, I know. I just like went on a little riff there. No, no, that's great. Um, but as I said, your Instagram, environmental toxins nerd, no, no spaces, no underscores, has a lot of resources that you've created as well. Yes. So I just wanted to pop that in there too. So if people listening are really interested by this but a little bit overwhelmed, um, Lara has some great resources on her Instagram, which will be linked below in the show notes. Yeah, and you can take one post at a time and, you know, here's one little nugget of something and here's another little nugget of something. You know, I like to remind people that this is a process. And look, if it takes someone five, six, ten years to go through this process of changing their life in small but meaningful ways to phase out perfume and to focus on organic food and to get your water filtered and maybe, you know, buy a new bed when the time comes, um, that it's okay if that takes five years, 10 years, however long it takes, it takes. The aim is to be moving in the, in the direction of working on these um, as much as we can without stressing ourselves out because stress can also be toxic. It's just toxic in a different way. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I love that so much. And I'm so, so grateful for all of your knowledge and that you are sharing it with us today. But I have my last segment here, which is real quick cues, which are totally unrelated, fun, quick questions for you. Are you ready? Yes. What is your favorite day of the week? Saturday. Saturday. Nice. Um, Movie or TV show binge? Oh, TV show binge. Mm -hmm. Um, Dream holiday destination? Cabin in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have do you have a book that you would recommend that's digestible about this topic? So perhaps people who are not in the industry but want to learn more about it. Absolutely. So the book that I usually recommend in this um, uh, for this question, um, and I recommend this book a lot. It's called Slow Death by Rubber Duck, and it's by Rick Smith and Bruce Laurie. And these are two guys who, you know, learned about this topic and they actually under, they subject themselves to a bunch of experiments like, Hey, I'm going to eat nothing but canned soup for a week and see what happens to my BPA levels, stuff like that. Um, really accessible book, um, really eye-opening and informative, but not like crazy sciency or crazy overwhelming, but it's just a really good, um, introduction to the topic that I find, um, uh, you know, it's like an inter- entertaining slash informative read. So slow death by rubber, rubber duck. I'm so excited to go and pick that up and have a read. Excellent. Thank you so much, Lara. It's been such a valuable episode and I'm sure people are going to get a lot out of it. So thank you so much for jumping on. You are welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Real Health Real Talk podcast. Honestly, it means the world. If you'd like to, please leave me a review or just a rating. That would be fab. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and I'll see you in the next episode.